The Origin of the True Cross St. Anthony uses the history of the Greeks from the apocryphal gospel to recount the story of the origin of the cross. In his opus for the Feast of the Discovery of the Cross, St. Anthony tells the story of the tree from which the cross came. This sermon became so popular that 200 years later, the story was still being passed on and subsequently inspired the well-known artist Piero della Francesca in the year 1435 to paint the story in breathtaking scenes. St. Anthony began his opus with Joel 2.22. The tree that bears its fruit, the fig tree and the vine give their yield. This tree is further mentioned in the Book of Wisdom. When because of him, the unjust men, the earth was flooded, it was wisdom again who saved it, directing the course of the just by contemptible wood. This contemptible wood is the cross of Christ, contemptible because accursed is anyone who is hanged on a tree, where Christ, the wisdom of God, the Father, was scorned and derided. So you will destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Then save yourself. If you are God's son, come down from the cross. Matthew 27:40 On this contemptible tree Christ saved the world The origin of the cross The origin of the cross goes back to Adam When Adam became ill he sent his son Seth to find some medicine to heal him Seth went to an area near the garden of Eden There he approached an angel guarding the gates to paradise Seth told him his father was dying and pleaded with the angel to help him the angel broke off a limb from the tree from which Adam had eaten of the forbidden fruit, even after God the Father had forbidden him and Eve to do so. The angel handed the branch to Seth, and with that he said, Your father will be healed when this branch bears fruit. St. Anthony writes that the preface of the Mass of the Feast of the Discovery of the Cross made a reference to this occurrence. The tree of man's defeat became his tree of victory, where life was lost, there life has been restored. Seth rushed home only to find that his father Adam had died and had already been buried. He planted the branch on Adam's grave. This branch later grew into a great tree. It appears the Queen of Sheba saw the tree in the house made of wood as the palace of King Solomon was called. She had a vision where the tree's origin and the circumstances involving the tree were revealed to her. Not daring to tell the king what she had learned, she instead wrote to him when she arrived home that she had seen a person hanging from the tree, and it was he who would bring about the downfall of the entire nation. Did he remember something from scripture foretelling the one who was yet to come? Did he see in the queen's vision a fulfillment of an ominous prophecy? All we know is that it is written, Solomon, fear overtaking him, buried the tree in the deepest vowels of the earth, the place that will later be called the sheep pool. You may recall that we read in John's gospel that the sick will come to the sheep pool in search of healing. There were crowds of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the water to move. For at intervals, the angel of the Lord came down into the pool and the water was disturbed, and the first person to enter the water after this disturbance was cured of any ailment he suffered from. When the time of the coming of Christ was approaching, the tree began to grow over the water, 
and it is then that the angel will come to stir the water. On Good Friday, when they looked for a tree on which to crucify our Lord, they found this tree. They cut it down and brought it to the place where Jesus stood, ready to carry it to his crucifixion. And so it was on Calvary that the angel's word to Seth was fulfilled. Thus the tree bore its fruit, saving Adam and restoring him to health. The tree, now the cross of salvation, was once again buried deep in the bowels of the earth. Were they hoping it will rot and go away? But the tree and the message of the tree will not be stilled. Three centuries later, St. Helena, Constantine's mother, will discover the tree. This is why we have a feast called the Discovery of the Cross. Allow us to have St. Anthony speak to your hearts. The eyes of our beloved are now closed in death. The face upon which the angels desire to look has turned pallid and pale. The lips, which once uttered words of eternal life, have now turned blue. The head, whose sight made angels tremble, now hangs lifeless. The hands, whose touch cured leprosy, brought back life, restored sight, put demons to flight, and multiplied bread, are now, alas, transfixed by nails and stained with blood. Constantine and Miracle of the Cross at the Milvian Bridge While preparing for battle at the Milvian Bridge, Christ appeared to Constantine in a dream. He told Constantine to paint an inverted X with what appears to be a pea running through it on his army's shields. At noon, the day of the battle, while praying to the pagan god of his father, Constantine saw a cross over the sun with the inscription, In this sign conquer. That evening, Jesus appeared to Constantine and told him to paint a cross on his soldiers' shields. Eusebius describes the sign as the labrum. Constantine did as the Lord dictated and was victorious over his enemies. He gave full credit to the vision he had of the cross at the Milvian Bridge. When Constantine arrived in Rome, he accepted the honors bestowed upon him by the Senate, but refused to participate in a pagan religious ceremony in the temple. In addition to everyone's amazement, he gave the order that all persecution of Christians was to cease. He went further and gave a palace at the Lateran to Pope Miltiades to be used as a papal residence. Then he erected a Christian church at the Lateran. Imagine the reaction in the Senate when he published a decree granting religious freedom to all Christians in his realm, and then when he ordered all property returned to the Christians in Africa. Constantine had a statue of himself erected in the Forum, with him holding a vexillium decorated with the Cairo. Under the statue was an inscription which read, Through this salutary sign, referring to the Cairo, I have freed your city from the yoke of the tyrant. Silver coins were struck with his helmet inscribed with the Cairo. Slowly but surely, pagan signs were replaced by Christian ones until in 321, when they, pagan signs, disappeared altogether. Although he did not enroll in the catechumenate, believing himself divinely converted, he did read Holy Scripture. Pope Sylvester baptized Constantine in the baths of the Lateran, curing him of leprosy. His mother, Queen Helena, hearing of her son's fascination with the God of the Christians, came to Rome to dissuade him. Instead, she converted. Constantine became a defender of the faith, 
fighting the heresies of his time that had cropped up that that of Arianism. He opened the Council of Nicaea and on and on. And how did this switch come about? Him exchanging the comfortable life he had with fellow pagans to face controversy inside and outside the newly legitimized church? In a letter to the Orient, Constantine wrote of his divine experience, giving full credit to God's grace that he had converted. Now Constantine had this deep desire to venerate the holy places where Jesus had walked. He wanted to follow the Savior's steps. In Nazareth, where the incarnation had taken place, in Bethlehem, where Jesus was born, on Mount Tabor, where he was transfigured, Calvary, where he died on the cross, and on and on. He began by building an extraordinary church in Jerusalem because he believed that it was the place most honored by Jesus' presence and passion. Some say Constantine sent his mother to the Holy Land to find the one true cross upon which Jesus died, the discovery of the cross by St. Helena. St. Ambrose, 4th century, was the first to write of the finding of the cross by St. Queen Helena. Others will follow with additional information. A newly baptized Christian, Queen Helena became fascinated by the stories circulating among the Christian world of the Christ who gave his life for all on the cross. In 326, she made a journey to Palestine and upon arriving there, began visiting all the holy places in search of the Holy Cross. And she was close to 80 years old at that time. Now there was no visible sign left. Heathens had destroyed or covered with stones anything pertaining to the life and death of our Lord. It was as if they wanted to erase any memory of our Savior and the price he paid. They even built a pagan temple to Venus on one of the holy sites, so that when Christians came to adore our Lord, where he lived and suffered for us, they appeared to be worshipping a marble idol of the pagan goddess. They went as far as erecting a statue to Jupiter, according to St. Jerome, on the site where our Lord rose from the dead. It remained there through Adrian's reign up to the time of Constantine. She began intensive research and study on the cross upon which Jesus died. She called in Jews and Christians alike, searching for clues as to the whereabouts of the cross. They advised her to look for the sepulcher where he had been buried. There she was most likely to find the instruments of torture. The custom of the Jews was to dig a hole near where the body was buried and place the means of punishment there as they found them abhorrent and of need to be hidden. The queen ordered all pagan temples be torn down, the statues to the pagan gods smashed, and then to remove it all as plain rubbish. Her eager pursuit of the cross was rewarded. In the ruins she found not only but three crosses, the nails which had pierced our Savior's body, and the plaque which had been nailed on his cross, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Imagine her dilemma when she found three crosses. Only one was that of our Lord, the other two were of the thieves who hung on either side of him. As the plaque was not attached to the cross, it was impossible to ascertain which was the true cross. One of the prominent ladies of Jerusalem lay critically ill. Bishop Macarius suggested Queen Helena have all three crosses one by one placed on the ill woman. 
The bishop believed they would discover the true cross by placing the crosses on the sick woman. The one which healed her will be the one upon which Jesus was crucified. After praying that God will show them which was the true cross, he placed each of the crosses on the body of the ill woman. Only one of the crosses touching her restored her, and the true cross of Jesus was discovered. Queen Helena immediately had a church built over the spot, as she later did over the other holy places where our Lord lived, preached, healed, and died. She made a magnificent case for it and brought a piece of the cross to her son Constantine in Constantinople at the time. He reverently venerated the cross and thereafter cherished it. She left for Rome. Once there, she placed a piece of the cross in the church she had built, Santa Croce in Jerusalem, the Holy Cross of Jerusalem, where it can be found till today. It is believed that the cross was very possibly discovered in May or early spring because Queen Helena died in the arms of her son the 18th of August, the same year the cross was discovered. In the lives of St. Cyril of Jerusalem, St. Porphyrius of Gaza, and St. Paulinas, it is written that pieces of the true cross were scattered to the four corners of the Catholic world, and yet the cross remained the same size. Other recounting of the finding of the true cross. Now there is another tradition about the finding of the true cross. It has been recorded that a Jew called Judas helped the queen discover the whereabouts of the true cross. Who had more authority than he, whose ancestors had been present when Jesus walked the earth and witnessed all that had come to pass? Judas was also instrumental in Helena's discovery of the nails which had pierced our Lord's hands and feet and the exact location of Golgotha. After Judas was baptized, Queen Helena had him consecrated fifth bishop of Jerusalem by Eusebius, Pope and Bishop of Rome in 310. Judas wrote, Behold, more or less 200 years the cross has been hidden. Before Queen Helena found the true cross, the Empress Protonica, wife of Emperor Claudius, is credited with having discovered it in the years 41 to 54 AD. The Empress had converted to Christianity from paganism after seeing miracles performed by St. Peter. Soon after, she departed from Rome and traveled with her two sons to Jerusalem. There, St. James showed her the hill of Golgotha. She was responsible for the Jews turning Golgotha over to the Christians. Her daughter died soon after. Her eldest son called it a work of God because when the true cross was placed on the dead girl's body, she came to life, validating the cross as the one upon which Jesus suffered and died. This account was written by St. James himself. It has been said that the cross was then hidden and discovered by St. Helena in a deep grotto that was 33 feet below the surface in one of the apses of the chapels of St. Helena in the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. This first discovery was affirmed by St. Cyril of Alexandria, who, having knowledge of it, said, It has been said at different times that the wood of the cross has been discovered. The Feast of the Exaltation of the Cross has been celebrated from the year 326, when it was discovered till today. It was originally observed in May until the year 335, when Constantine had the Church of the Resurrection built in Jerusalem. 
As the church was dedicated on the 13th of September, and the following day the cross was set up in the church, the tradition of celebrating the feast day passed from May to the 14th of September. This feast day is observed by both the Greek Church and the Roman Catholic Church. The cross is returned to Jerusalem. In the 7th century, Heraclius, son of Heraclius, exarch of Africa, aided his father in overthrowing the unpopular emperor Phocas. He traveled to Constantinople and conquered Phocas and executed him. Thereupon he was proclaimed emperor. Heraclius spent his entire reign battling forces within and without his palace. The East has always had strife, neighbor against neighbor. In 611, the Persians conquered Syria, Anatolia, Palestine, and Egypt. Then in 614, they invaded and overran Jerusalem, taking to Persia their spoils, including the Holy Cross of Jesus. Heraclius took singular delight vanquishing Phocas and his men from Anatolia, and especially Armenia, as he was of Armenian descent. Whereupon he carried the war into Persia. There a battle ensued where Heraclius brought about the fall of Crossroads, Persia's leader, and caused the rise to power of Kawad, who upon ascending the throne promised to restore all territory occupied by Persian forces and return the cross to Jerusalem. When Heraclius arrived with the cross in Jerusalem, he was greeted with cheering and great ceremony. But sadly, that was short-lived, as he was unable to block the Arabs from invading and occupying Palestine, Syria, and Egypt in the name of Islam. Why is the cross so loved and so hated? Why is the cross so loved and so hated? It is loved by those who love Jesus, those who want to remember that it was on this holy cross that we were saved. We love the cross because it was on this cross that the gates of heaven were opened, that death was conquered. With those who hate the cross, is it they do not want us to remember we were saved and at what price? For if our Lord will do this for us, that we might know eternal life with him, if he would go through the passion for us, then our souls are precious to him. The enemy of God tells us we are hopeless and helpless. We are too skinny, too fat, too tall, too short. We are evil and there is no hope for us. On the cross, Jesus had pity on the repentant criminal next to him. If he will do that for him, what won't he do for us? When you think he died for each of us and he would have done it all if you or I were the only one on earth, and one of us would have had to have been the one who killed him. When we think about that, we walk unafraid, knowing our Lord who died for us will never give us a cross we cannot bear. Please load our free Bob and Penny Lord app. Here is how to download our free Bob and Penny Lord app. Simply with your iPhone or Android device, go to the App Store Search for Bob and Penny Lord app and download it. It's that simple. Here's what you can do with our free Bob and Penny Lord app. Number one, the, there's a link to our marketplaces, our websites, uh, our uh, blog, and this podcast. The second link is to our Bob and Penny Lord TV channel where you can access all of our videos as seen on EWTN plus a whole lot more. Thank you very much.